we look at John chapter 5. If you have your bulletin, you can see some announcements on the back page. I would encourage you to look at those. There are several things happening in the life of our church. Uh, One of those at the top is we are having a Foundations of Faith class, which is our new members class. Uh, But it's not only if you're interested in joining the church. Maybe you've been coming for uh, a few weeks and you just want to hear more about who we are and what we're about. Uh, That will begin next Sunday morning uh, at 9 a.m. during the uh, Kingdom Community Hour. So invite you to come. There's also instructions there for how you would sign up uh, to participate in that class. Also, check out the other things. There's several things going on tonight for students and for our children here at the church. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 5. The Gospel of John chapter 5. As you're turning, I want to remind you of the purpose of the book of John. We've been studying this gospel uh, for the last several weeks. And we have been learning, remember John tells us the purpose of why he's writing the Gospel of John. Remember, he could have, there's lots of things he tells us that he could have written about Jesus. Lots of events he could have recorded, but he records these in John, the Gospel of John, in these 21 chapters. Why? Because he wants us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and by believing in him, this is John chapter 20, verse 31, And by believing in him, we might have life in his name. And so that's why he's writing. And so think about that as we look at our passage this morning and as I read it. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. This is God's holy and inspired word. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me. That man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said this to you? Who said, Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to help us this morning with this passage. Heavenly Father, um, 
you tell us that we do not live on bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from your mouth. And so we ask that you would come through your spirit this morning and feed us through your word, through John chapter 5. Would you come and nourish us, bring conviction, challenge us, bring life, bring encouragement. We need you this morning. We need to be healed. So heal us this morning, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Paige Benton Brown, she was, years ago, she was an RUF staff member at Vandy with RUF, and and she'd left Vandy, and she moved to Dallas, Texas, where her brother was a physician. And, you know, in the midst of moving chaos and your life kind of being turned upside down, uh, she needed a refill on a mundane allergy medication, I think it was Claritin. Uh, it was before it was over the counter. And so she called her brother and she said, listen, I need a favor. Please turn, uh, please write me a prescription. My allergies are acting up. I don't want to have to go to the doctor. And he reluctantly agreed and said, you really need to go to a doctor, uh, but I'll do this for you. A few months later, phone rings. It's, she's calling her brother. Hey, listen, I still haven't gotten to the doctor. Would you write another prescription? I need some more Claritin. He reluctantly agrees again, and then a year later, again, still hadn't gone to the doctor. She calls her brother and says, hey, can you refill this prescription for me? And he puts his foot down and says, no, you need to grow up. You need to be a big girl. You need to go to the doctor and kind of let them give you a physical and a workup and establish a baseline for your health. You can get them to prescribe the Claritin for you. And so she grew up that summer and went to the doctor for the first time in 10 years. And the doctor is there, you know, she's getting her physical, eventually moves and puts the stethoscope on her heart, and they're chatting and kind of having a good time and making all these connections. The doctor stops in mid-sentence and says, tell me what's wrong with your heart. There's something wrong with your heart. And she says, what are you talking about? I'm 31 years old. I just need Claritin. Let's get going. And the doctor says, no, you don't understand. There's something serious going on with your heart. In fact, I'm going to make you a, an appointment today with a cardiologist. So she went to the cardiologist that afternoon, and she's getting an EKG, and the nurse says, there's something wrong with your heart. The doctor's going to want to come see you. The doctor comes in and prescribes, you know, gives her, uh, prescribes a treadmill uh, test, gives her a sleep monitor to wear during the night, and takes an ultrasound of her heart. And come to find out, her dead asleep, you know, resting heart rate, middle of the night, snoring, deepest sleep you could possibly be in, her resting heart rate was 150 beats a minute. She had no regular rhythm. And the doctor said that it needed to be corrected either by surgery or by being on a medication for the rest of her life. And the woman, again, Paige, replied, what are you talking about? I just want Claritin. And the doctor says, no, you're in a very dangerous place with your heart. And she says this to the doctor, well, other than my heart, I'm healthy, right? And the doctor replied, there is no health apart from your heart. 
That's John chapter 5. This morning, what we learned through this passage is that there is no health, spiritually speaking, apart from our heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's the steering wheel of the human being. It's the center of who we are. And it's where the Bible says that true healing, spiritual healing, takes place in a person's life. Friends, what we are desperately looking for, the healing that we're desperately looking for and that we all desperately need always travels through the heart. This morning, we're going to see three things. The barrier to healing. Secondly, we're going to see the disruption of healing. And thirdly, the path to healing. Let's look at number one, the barrier to healing. If you have your Bible, look at verse 4. There is no verse (laughs) 4. Did you notice that? It's actually missing. It goes straight from verse 3 to verse 5. Why is that? Well, the earliest manuscripts and most uh, uh, reliable manuscripts of the Bible did not include that. And so it's not listed in your Bible. But scholars, almost all of them agree that verse 7 actually gives us a hint of why the people were at the pool. And what we learn is that there was a rumor going around, basically, that at this pool of Bethesda, uh, that you could go there and you could get in the water and be healed. And so if you were there and the water started to be stirred up for one reason or another, the first person in the pool would experience healing. That was the rumor. And Jesus walks on this scene. And out of the multitude, I don't know, few hundred people, let's say, Jesus goes to this one man who had been an invalid for 38 years, the passage tells us. He had been lying on a mat for 38 years, and Jesus heals him. He heals him physically, but does he heal him spiritually? I don't think so, and I think the evidence in the passage supports this. It's very interesting if you look at this passage but then look at the other healings in the Gospels, what do you see missing here? Well, most of the time when Jesus would heal someone, he would say what? Go. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. We don't see that here. And not only do we not see that here, but there's really no room for faith. Look at verse 13. The man was asked, Who is it that healed you? And did you notice that far from trusting in Jesus, he doesn't even know who healed him? Let me stop and make a side comment here. Friends, this flies in the face of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Because this man didn't have any faith at all. And you see... There's a lie that says if you do not have enough faith, that's the reason why you're not healed. Friends, this man didn't have any at all, and God healed him. He does absolutely nothing. Because you see, the grace of God invaded his life, and it was just that grace alone. Verse 15. So the religious leaders are hostile towards Jesus. 
And did you notice the man didn't hesitate one second to sell Jesus out? And during my study this week, several commentators mentioned the fact that this was the first man, not Judas, this man here was the first one to hand Jesus over. John chapter 5, the trial of Jesus had begun. That's why one person I read described this man in this story as a half-healed, hard-to-like man. Why is he half-healed? Well, because think about it. He was healed physically, but he was not healed spiritually. In other words, his heart was not healed. And one of the purposes of the Gospels, if we see when the miracles, when Jesus does a miracle, it is to show us our true need. It is to point to our true need. And this man was blind to his true need. He thought it was all about the legs. And Jesus wanted to heal his legs, but more than that, Jesus wanted to heal his heart because that's what he desperately needed more than anything else. You see, the man didn't go deep enough. And so here's what we learned, and I think this is what I want to talk about for a minute. But sometimes the biggest barrier to you and I being healed is that we don't think we need to be. You see, we come to a passage like this and we think, oh, this is for someone else. Or this is about someone else. And when we start to rub up against the brokenness and the sin in our own souls, you know what we tend to do? Instead of owning it and taking it to Jesus, we deflect it and say, They're the problem, not me. It's always someone else. We see it in this story. Look at verse 7. No one will put me into the pool. That's why I can't be healed. Verse 11, the man gets questioned. I didn't, don't look at me. Jesus is the one that told me to pick up the mat. It's his fault. He is the one that told me to do this. And you see, this hits home, doesn't it? Because if we're honest this morning, when we are exposed, rather than running to Jesus, it's a whole lot easier to look at someone else and blame it on them. We always are looking for something outside of us. That's the problem. Never or very rarely do we look inside. And you see, it's been happening from the beginning of time. Remember Adam? He said to God, he blamed God. The woman you gave me. That's the problem. You see, it's always outside of us. It's our roommate. It's my boss or my co-worker, or my children. If my children wouldn't act like this, then I wouldn't do this. Or it's my siblings, or it's my teacher at school, or my friends, or how about this one? My spouse. It's my wife or my husband. You know, it's interesting. One of God's purposes in marriage, there are many, but one of them is that we would see the paralysis in our own heart and how much we desperately need Jesus. I love this quote by Tim Keller. Marriage shows you the realistic, unflattering picture of who you are. If you're single and want to be married, doesn't that sound exciting? 
It shows you the realistic, unflattering picture of who you are. And then marriage takes you by the scruff of your neck and forces you to pay attention to it. And when it takes us by the scruff of our neck, oftentimes what we do is we don't think the biggest problem is ourselves, but we look at the other person and we say, them. It's the person you gave me. And so the question this morning is, who or what are you blaming this morning? Who or what are you blaming this morning so that you don't have to deal with what is inside your own heart? And listen, this needs to be said. Have you been hurt deeply? Absolutely you have. Some of you have been hurt so deeply, and that is very real. Does the other person need to change? Yes, they need to change. But you see, the hardest thing the Bible says for us to get our hearts and our minds around is that we too have hurt deeply. We too need to change. And the Bible says this morning that the, uh, that the real barrier to our healing is not them, but it's me. It's me. You see, that's what the man, he thought that he knew what he needed. It's my legs. But Jesus said, your primary problem is your heart. Do you want to be healed this morning? Well, first, you've got to know that you need to be. Secondly, there's a disruption in healing. Look at verse 6. Do you want to be healed, Jesus asked this man. Well, duh. I mean... I've been laying on a mat for 38 years and you're going to ask me if I want to be healed. That sounds so offensive and so crazy and unbelievable. Of course this man wants to be healed. But before we go down that road too far, think about the question. Friends, the question is not quite as offensive and crazy as we initially think. Because think about this man. He had been disabled for 38 years. That's longer than most of you have been alive. And when you have experienced that for 38 years, you have settled into a way of life. You know what your disability allows you to do and what it allows you not to do. And most certainly this man was a beggar because he couldn't work. And so he knew how he was going to make a living. And if Jesus made him well he would lose all of the things that he had depended on others to do and he would have to make an own responsibility for his own life. You see that? To be healed meant a completely new life for this man. Is that good? Absolutely that's good. But it is also very scary because it's also very unknown. And what Jesus is doing here is saying to all of us this morning, Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want me to come and disrupt your life? Because if you want to be healed, not just physically, but spiritually, it will disrupt you. Because I'm going to ask you and I'm going to strip from you your identity or the thing that you've been building your life on for 38 years or for a long, long time. And that is going to be painful. And you see... 
That is why lots of folks want nothing to do with Jesus. Because Jesus wants to come and disrupt our life oftentimes. And we don't like that. And we want to be comfortable and we do not want to be disturbed. And so we would rather say, listen, my life, it's not great, but it's good enough. And so what is it for you this morning? Where is Jesus asking you, do you want to be healed? That is the question, and yes, it's an incredibly hard question, but it is the question, I believe, of Jesus' ministry. Jesus says this morning, in order for me to truly heal you, I am going to have to cause you disruption because you're going to have to give up something that has come to define you. For example, think about your addiction. You really want to get help for your addiction, but you can't imagine because it's been a part of you for so long, you cannot possibly imagine life without it. Because it feels so good. And it would be scary to think about giving it up. Or maybe you're dating someone and you know you don't need to be dating the person. But so much of who you are and your significance and your security and your worth is tied up in that relationship that it would feel like death if you were to let that go. Or what about greed? We know we should give up our greed, but so much of who we are is bound up in having things that are nicer than everyone else around us. Or what about church? How often do we come and just punch the clock? How often are we just content with being comfortable and going through the motions and so we come Sunday after Sunday and we've just stopped looking for conviction and change because we really don't want it. And so we just check out because we're afraid that if we actually engage God and pray and ask him to work, that God might start putting his finger on some things in our heart and he might start disrupting us and start messing with our comfortable life. My mom had knee replacement surgery a few months ago, uh, and the few years previous to that, she had really been struggling, and she's very active, always on the go, and just over time, she could hardly walk, Uh, the knee would swell up, and she would go to the doctor, they said, you need to get your knee replaced, and she was like, no, I'm not sure I'm ready for that, I want to hold out as long as I can. Because she would look at, what, rehab and know that she was probably going to be in more pain if she goes through the surgery and more discomfort and more frustration. But she finally did it because she realized that the temporary pain that she would encounter would be well worth the healing, well worth to getting her life back and truly being able to live again. And it's the exact same with Jesus, isn't it? See, the healing of Jesus is often disruptive. But Jesus says, if you want to truly live, if you want to truly live, it involves leaving your old life behind. Yes, it will be scary. Yes, it will be unknown. But I will be with you every step of the way. 
So here's a question for you. What part of your brokenness this morning, what part of your heart that if, that if Jesus came into it, it would completely disrupt your life if you were freed from it or had it taken away from you? That's where Jesus wants to heal you this morning. Yes, it will be difficult, but Jesus says it's the only way to true healing. It's the only way to truly being made whole again. Lastly, and briefly, the path to healing. Okay, so let's say, listen, Jason, I, I know I need to be healed. I'm even willing to have my life disrupted in order to be healed. At that point, here's what tends to happen. We tend to pull out our scalpel and start to try to heal ourselves. We start to perform surgery on our spiritual selves. That's what the Pharisees did. Look at verses 9 through 16. They're furious that this man is healed on the Sabbath. Let me try to explain what's going on here. The Pharisees or the religious leaders had taken the law of God, which is a good gift from God, and they had added all these additional requirements on top of it so that they could actually keep it and to protect it. Think about the Sabbath, commandment number four. The the commandment was to remember it and keep it holy. Well, they added 39 regulations on top of that one command so that they could actually keep it. For example, one of the regulations was this. You could not carry a possession that you owned because that would be considered work. You could not walk more than so many yards because that would be considered work. You couldn't look into a mirror because you would be tempted to see a gray hair and pluck it out. That would be considered work. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Those are the kinds of things they were doing. And so it's the religious festival And here this man is who's been healed, and he's probably running, leaping, dancing with joy, carrying his mat. He sticks out like a sore thumb. You cannot miss this man. And so they see him, this guy who had been lame for 38 years, and they say, stop. What are you carrying? Why are you carrying the mat? Do you see how crazy... That is, there was no rejoicing. It was like, you're breaking a law. And so why did the Pharisees do this? Well, they did it because it gave them the impression that they could actually keep it. Because at the end of the day, they could say, I did it. I didn't carry my mat. Or I didn't walk more than a thousand yards. Or I did this and I did that. And so I finally did it. I obeyed. They did it because they thought they were healing themselves. They were looking to their own performance so that they could feel okay. The only problem with that is Romans chapter 3 says the law is meant to bring knowledge of sin. And so the Pharisees had minimized the law and they had totally missed Jesus in the process because they thought the way to healing was their own performance because they thought that healing came from the outside in. But remember, healing is always from the inside out. It always travels through the heart because there is no health apart from your heart. Friends, 
I want you to hear this. If you try to heal yourself apart from Jesus, the best that you can become is a Pharisee. If you try to heal yourself apart from Jesus, he's nowhere in the picture. The best that you can become is a Pharisee. You see, we often think this way, don't we? We think, like the Pharisees, that in order for me to be healed, i got to clean myself up in order to be made right with God. And we think that, and so we think, God, I really want to be healed, and in order for me to be healed, I've got to become the best version of myself. And to be the best version of myself, I've got to perform. That's terrible news, isn't it? You see, the good news is that Jesus meets us where we are this morning. He meets us where we are this morning and he heals us. Did you notice, this is a feast in Jerusalem. I want you to hear this as well. And Jesus is not with the movers and shakers. Jesus is not with the powerful people. He's not with the pretty people. He's not with the popular people. He's not at the popular places. No, he's with the invalids. He's with the people that are in greatest need. And friends, Jesus comes to Faith Presbyterian Church this morning. He's here through his word and spirit and through this table. And he's coming to a place of great need. And you might not believe this, that this morning, but it is true. We are a needy people. And Jesus comes to us and says, do you want to be healed? Then come to me. And let me take away your sin. Come to me and let me give you new life. You do not need another chance. You do not need to be more disciplined and more devoted and have more wisdom and have better circumstances. All those things are great, but that's not what you need because the path to healing is through a person. The person of Jesus Christ who came into the world to do what we could never do for ourselves. Remember Isaiah 53? By his wounds, we are healed. We come this morning. When you let Jesus heal you, you let Jesus make you whole again. Let's pray. Father, this is very frightening to think about changing and to think about you healing us. We're afraid. And so I ask that you would come and give us courage this morning and would you compel us to change and to healing, not because you're going to get us if we don't, but because you love us so deeply. Compel us this morning to change by your great love for us. Assure us that it's only in you that we truly start to live. Bring assurance to us that only you can give us what we truly need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.